0: You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc.
1: Well, happy Easter. Glad you're here today. Welcome to Living Way Church. My name's uh, Ted. I'm the pastor here. And uh, we are going to talk about the greatest move that ever happened. We are in a series called Move, and we're talking about what it takes to tell and to proclaim the truth of Christ. And Easter has the greatest movement of all. Today we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Did you know it's the very reason... That's interesting. Did you know it's the very reason that we meet on Sundays all together? Uh, the early church, while Christ was walking with them, uh, they met on Saturdays, the Sabbath. But after the resurrection, the early church began to meet every Sunday to, to proclaim and celebrate that he is alive. And that he gave them life and that he's called us to tell the world. So today, I want us to talk about what it means. I mean, we sing about it. Uh, we watch movies about it We, uh, we uh, talk about it. We read about it. We celebrate it but why and and here's here 's a challenge i 've got this container here of um, kind of some grimy water and i don 't know if it would anybody hear i i 'm not going to ask you because i 'm sure there 's a couple that just want to be the center of attention that will want to uh, to do this but this is um, this is dirty water, and uh, the problem is is I wouldn't drink this. You know, if I was desperate, I I might drink it. And you know, I, I think sometimes we present Jesus just like this glass is. I mean, it's muddy, it's murky, and as oftentimes knowing Jesus uh is has been a challenge for many because they don't quite understand it's kind of it's it's they can't see faith through the filth because there's this sense that that there are preachers and there are Christians that, that don't really know how to share the faith of Christ. And there are some of you that have never heard the true, very clear faith of Christ. So today I want to talk to you about the challenge about knowing and looking and seeing the water of salvation in a muddy murky cloudy uh place. And and you know some of you I want you to, there's, there's two types of people here, and we're going to talk about those in a minute. Uh, but if you're here today and, and you're not a follower of Christ, I, I want you to tune in and hopefully get something very clear. And if you are a follower, I want you to tune in and maybe walk away with something that will help you to share your faith with people around you. Jesus tells his followers to proclaim the good news. Sharing Jesus somehow can seem uh, uh, complicated, especially since... Uh, Since what we often present isn't really the gospel at all or sometimes it's the gospel with additives It's the gospel with confusion. It's the gospel with with extras and and you know what? That's a reason why a lot of people don't even accept christ Uh, At least what they think they are rejecting is not really christ at all But they're what they're rejecting is is actually just complicated murky muddy waters that are trying to be presented as faith Well, I believe people are thirsty But people are often turned off by how complex we make it. So I think the gospel isn't complicated. And I don't think telling others about Christ should be complicated Uh, today. I want to answer two questions that every person alive should be able to answer. Two questions that everyone in, in this room should be able to answer and understand. And also two questions that anyone should be able to share and to tell with anyone. So... You don't have to unravel revelation. You don't have to know uh, the church history, uh, the ecclesiastical history of the church. You don't need to know Hebrew or Greek or understand Old Testament prophecies. You don't have to explain the evidence of creation uh, or you don't have to understand all the details of all doctrine. But you do need to understand what we're going to talk about today. And, and if you don't understand this today, then you're in muddy waters. You're in, you're in a dark place in your faith. It's important to grow in understanding as you walk with Jesus. Uh, you do grow in understanding and knowledge in some of those areas. But the good news of Jesus is amazingly simple. And today I want to give you the very simple, clean, clear gospel of Christ. So if you're not a follower that you can hear it today, maybe as clear as you've ever heard it, And if you are, that it's something that you can clearly easily give to people without giving them a dirty glass of what you think is faith in Christ. Let's make it our goal that if you or others reject Christ, that we're rejecting the right thing. So what are those two questions that we need to answer? Two questions every person must be able to answer is, number one, what does a person need to know to become a follower of Jesus Number two, what does a person need to do to become a follower of Jesus? Those are two questions every person alive should answer. The good thing is that it's the same answer for every person on the planet. Regardless of culture, regardless of background, regardless of nationality, regardless of language, uh, regardless of your family condition, your age, or what you've done or haven't done in your life. Regardless, everyone gets the same answer, and it's the same way for every one of us. So let's make it our goal again. If, If you have a friend that rejects Christ, or if you today reject Christ, let's make sure that you're rejecting the right thing. See, maybe you're not a Christ follower. Maybe you have questions and maybe you're holding off on the whole Jesus thing because you're not really sure about what it really means to be a follower of Christ. And sure of something that's not even the real thing. Or maybe you're a skeptic and, and you have no intention of becoming a follower of Christ. And you're here out of, an, out of kindness, out of an invitation of a family or a friend. Uh, you have no plans to become a follower or a Christian. You, well, I want you today to hear exactly what you're going to reject. So there is no complication about what you're clearly rejecting. And I pray the Holy Spirit, if that is you, that the Holy Spirit softens your heart, that you listen today. So when you hear about the empty tomb, there's a lot of questions, obviously. I mean, we're here celebrating an empty tomb. We're, We're celebrating a man of history who died and rose again. And and he didn't die later on. He ascended into heaven, and he's coming back again. That's why we're here. That's why we meet. That's why we sing. That's why we shout. That's why we celebrate, because he lives. He didn't die on a cross and get buried, and, and it was a sad, sad day. No, he lives. He did die. He was buried. There's no doubt about it. His pulse had stopped. He was dead for three days in the grave. when you hear about the empty tomb, there are a lot of questions. Is it a fable? Is it a myth? Is it wishful thinking? Is it reality? Well, just three days earlier, Jesus willingly gave himself over for torture. He willingly gave himself over for crucifixion, the most violent and vile way of, of death ever created on the planet. He died. He was embalmed. He was buried. He was dead. And it confused his disciples. They, did, they didn't see it coming. They thought he was going to lead them into a whole new government. Well, on the cross at 3 p.m., we're going to relive some of what happened after his death, moving from Friday to Sunday. On the cross at 3 p.m., Jesus gave up his life. But let's make it clear it was not a mistake, it was not something that was taken from him, it was something he gave. This was not a kink in the armor, it wasn't a kink in the plan. This was the plan. The cross was the plan. He was born in a manger 33 years earlier, laid in that manger that we celebrate his birth. Christmas is great. We all love Christmas because we like giving and getting gifts. But the real celebration is Easter. Because he went from that cradle to the cross. That was the plan. The cross was the plan. That he was dead and he was buried. But they didn't see it yet. So let's pick it up that Friday afternoon. Now, often when people are crucified... There were hundreds of them that happened pretty regularly in the Roman Empire, and uh, they were often on the side of the roads. They, they would nail people to trees, or they would tie people up to trees and to crosses like this, and they would, they would uh, torture them. They would beat them. Sometimes they would nail them. Sometimes they would just tie them, and the goal was just to leave them there to die. And oftentimes the the wolves, the vultures, the animals uh, of prey would come and just pick at them until they were dead. And it would often take three days to a month for these guys to, to die as people would pass by and feed them just to keep them alive long enough to be picked at again for another day. Well, that crucifixion was different. There were only three uh, executed that day, uh, Jesus and two other criminals. And uh, it's often that they are left on the cross and left to die and, and left to rot and left for the animals to come. And they were often uh, pulled off the cross and just thrown in a, in a pile in a criminal's grave. They are not buried in a humane way. They're often just thrown outside of town for uh, the animals to consume. And, but the disciples would not have it. They loved Jesus too much to see his body be treated that way. So a couple of his secret followers had a plan to give him a proper burial. Mark 15, verse 42, it was preparation day day that is the day before Sabbath, that means Friday night. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, I want you to notice this is a prominent follower. This is a guy who was very popular, who everybody knew who he was. He was, he was a very uh, high-level Jewish official on the council who was also a follower of Christ. I want you to realize the two guys we're going to meet right now, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, these guys were in the room when Jesus was sentenced to death. When he was arrested at midnight that early morning on Friday and dragged into a council between Ananias and and Caiaphas, when he was put before the council members, these two guys were in the room. And as they were shouting and throwing and punching Jesus, they were standing in the back protesting the entire thing, saying that this is unjust, this isn't right. But they were there from the moment he was arrested to right now. There are the only two people in the entire story of Jesus that never left his side during his entire execution. Joseph Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate, a legal authority, and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. You see, it will often take days, uh, or at least many, many hours for someone to die, but Jesus, at 3 p.m., just six hours after the spikes were nailed into his hands and feet, Jesus gave up his life when he was finished with what he came to do. So they were surprised that he was dead. They summoned the centurion, the guy who stabbed him, a forensic specialist, uh, and they asked him if Jesus had already died. And he went and he confirmed it again. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. Now, I want you to notice all the names here and all the titles. Mark is listing names that could testify authoritatively that Jesus was in fact dead. I mean, think about it. It was confirmed by witnesses. It was confirmed by a forensic report. It was confirmed by a legal declaration. It was Jesus was dead. He was taken to a well-known grave that everybody knew about. He was placed under Roman guard. Jesus was, in fact, dead. He didn't swoon. He didn't pass out. He didn't faint. He was dead. In John 19, we pick up the story in verse 38. He says, "When Pilate's, with Pilate's permission, he, that's Joseph of Arimathea, uh, he's from a town called Arimathea, uh, he, Joseph, came and took the body away. Now, what they did is they had to go to the cross where Jesus was hanging and they had to uh, throw over the cross a makeshift pulley, often with a fabric, a rope or or some sort of pulley system. And they, they, they lowered him back down to the ground. But I want you to realize this. They had to pull his hands through the nails. See, nails were often reused by the centurions. This wasn't the first nail that was in a hand when Jesus had his hands nailed. These weren't like straight from Home Depot fresh nails. These are probably nails that have been the hands and feet of many, many criminals. And Jesus was just another one in their eyes. But they had to pull his hands through the nails. They had to remove his body, his mutilated body, a bloody, torn up body from the cross. And I want you to realize they had to take and carry his body. Now, years ago, when my stepfather passed away, my mom called me at like three in the morning and said her husband had passed away. And I went over to her house and the coroner was there alone by himself. And he had a car and he couldn't get the body out of the house by himself. So in the way the house was situated, he couldn't get the cart through the house. So he and I picked up my stepfather and carried him out of the house and laid him on the gurney that took him into the vehicle. But I remember so clearly how heavy and how hard and how difficult and how strange it was to carry a dead body. And I'm thinking of Joseph and I'm thinking of this other guy we're about to meet here in a minute named Nicodemus who pulled him off the cross and had to carry literally the dead weight of Jesus, the son of God in their arms. His blood was not just on their hands. It was probably all over their bodies as he was, Torn apart, he was accompanied by a guy named Nicodemus. Look at verse thirty-nine. The man who had earlier had visited Jesus at night. We're going to talk about that. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe, aloe vera, about seventy-five pounds of myrrh and aloe vera. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. I want you to realize this, 75 pounds of oils and the linens are well-known to be over 20 pounds of linen. So if you've got Jesus who is probably, you know, uh, if he was the average size of a person, maybe 180 pounds-ish, uh, maybe a little less, 175, probably fitter than I am. And they they had to carry Jesus. They wrapped him in 20 pounds of fabric, they embalmed him. that means what they would do is they would rip the uh, dip the fabric in the embalming aloe and oils and myrrh, and they would wrap him and then they would dip another one and wrap it and dip it in a, So they were they were embalming Jesus they were preparing him for a year of decomposition so by the time that they were done, Jesus is well over probably with the fabric and the oils well over several. Uh, a couple hundred pounds at least. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a tomb. So you know that he was buried not very far from the cross. And there was a tomb in which no one had ever lived. Now, one of the other gospels tells us that this tomb belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. It was a new tomb. We know it's a new because it's on the outskirts of the Uh, Garden of the of the cemetery not on the inside. So it was new It was very prominent when you walk in everybody saw it because it was the jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby They laid jesus there He was buried in a borrowed tomb. Jesus was dead. Hope seemed gone Jesus had a good run But it was over he was dead and now friday night and all day saturday they huddled in fear They huddled broken. They were confused. They were angry they were in fear for their own life. Were they next? Now, I want you to, to know what, what, what Jewish burials are like. There's what's known as an osuary, and, and you might see a picture of it on the screen right now. What an osuary is, it's a box. And what the Jewish people do is that they would remove the dead uh, from their place of death, and they would embalm them and wrap them just like uh, Joseph and Nicodemus did. They, they would wrap him, and then they would set them on like a shelf, uh, a long kind of like bed type shelf in a tomb and that's the place where Jesus or anybody any Jewish person would would sit on that bed for about a year or a year and a half until their body was completely decomposed. And then after body was decomposed, they would take the bones and put them in a box called an osuary and then they would put the boxes in shelves so they could put an entire family inside of one tomb. So you might have like 10, you know, shelves with osuary boxes with bones of different people and they would label the boxes of the family members. So they were planning on just putting Jesus out and him with all these rich uh, Uh, oils uh, scented oils because it stinks the dead body doesn't smell good after a few days So they were embalming him. It was the process to preserve the bones And it was also process to preserve it from smelling so bad Because they would actually go in and out throughout the year to observe the process of decomposition as soon as the bones Were ready to put in a box. They would put them in a box. So that's the process So when you think about the grave of Jesus, it was the process of getting him in a box. Just like us, we end up in a box. We're born from the dust of the earth and we return to the dust of the earth. And one day you'll find your day in a box. But a box couldn't hold Jesus and that wasn't the place where he ended up. So they came, they embalmed him, they buried him. Three days with one long Saturday through the eyes of Nicodemus, Only one of two who is there. Nicodemus' story begins in John chapter three with a conversation. That's what I wanna talk to you about today is that conversation that Nicodemus, the man who brought all those oils and aloe vera and all the fabric and joined with Joseph to bury Jesus. Let's find out who Nicodemus is. And he's introduced in John chapter three. So if you wanna turn there with me, John chapter three, verse one, this is where it starts off. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, which means teacher, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God is not with him." Man, Jesus is doing the miraculous. He's raising the dead. He's... He's healing the sick He's restoring the lepers He's given sight to the blind he res- He's restoring deaf ears He's releasing people from the bondage of possession Jesus is doing signs and wonders Confirming who he is There's a movie out uh, on a National Geographic Called Killing Jesus And it's a, an attempt to present the historical Jesus But it's without the miracles There is no Jesus without the miracles His miracles confirmed Who he said that he was so when you watch that, be aware that an attempt to make him a real person can't be left without the miracles. See, that's supernatural. He wasn't a man. He was more than a man. He was a man, and he was God. He was supernatural. And he came to him and he said, "God," he said, "No one could perform signs if you're uh, if you're not who you say you are." Jesus replied, "Verily, verily, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again." Now, that's a word maybe some of you guys have heard before, not really sure where it came from. It came from right here, born again. Now, Nicodemus was probably just as confused as some of you and most people are in the world when they hear that word. Born again, what does that mean? And Jesus literally said, how is it possible for me to go back into my mother's womb and to be born a second time? That's just strange. So Jesus responded. He said, verily, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of God, unless they are born of water and born of the Spirit. You see, flesh gives birth to the flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You see, that born of the, of the water means a, a physical birth. You know, like when a, when a woman's water breaks and she gives birth to a child and he comes forth, you know, a child comes forth through this uh, water. And, and, you know, there's a sense Jesus says there's a physical birth and then there's a spiritual birth. And he says, Nick, there's two of them. And he said, I want to tell you something, Nick. If you're born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you'll only die once. So he goes on to say, he says, "Uh, you should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. He says it again. Now, Jesus says, it's like the wind. He says, you can't see the wind, but you can see what it does. And you can hear what it does. And he goes, it's a mystery as to where the wind's going to go and what it does. And that's like faith. Faith is like that wind that you can't see, but you can hear and you can see what it does. He says, it's a mystery. And Nick says, but how? How is it possible? And Jesus says, you're not as smart as you think you are. And then Jesus says this. He says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. He's talking about himself. He says, you know what? There's no one here that knows what I'm talking about except for me. He says, I'm God in the flesh. I'm here with you. And it's going to be hard for you to understand all this. He says, but just as Moses was lifted, uh, lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted high, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now I can imagine Nicodemus was looking at him like, huh? There's a, there's a story in Exodus where the entire group of people in the desert were sick. And so God said uh, to Moses, he said, take a, take a pole and uh, wrap, a snake around it and lift it up. And whoever looks at that snake on that pole will be healed of their sickness. And Jesus is like, you know what? That snake represents sin. That pole is that cross and that's me being lifted up. And whoever will look at me, you will be saved. Nicodemus was confused. He still didn't get it. And Jesus' final response to this was one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible. Jesus turns to him and gives him probably the most often quoted, memorized verse. Even if you're not a Christian, you probably know this verse. And this is where he said it. After Nicodemus was confused and Jesus was trying to explain to him, he says, let me give it to you in one simple Sentence, And he says this, he says, for God, he says, Nicodemus, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, talking about himself, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I want you to, to see something today. I want to use that verse, and I want to show you what is the clearest way to understand Jesus without having to dig through the muck and the dirt and the grime that is often presented as the gospel, that is often presented as the way to know Christ, I want to use that one verse that Jesus gave us that most of you already know to give you a clear and simple explanation of the gospel of Christ. And if you are a follower of Christ, you can use this to share your faith with anybody by knowing a verse you already know. And if you're not a follower, will you allow me to take the next couple of minutes to give you a clear understanding of the gospel based on what jesus said but before i do i want to tell you what becoming a christian is not a couple of things first of all it's not about attending church living for jesus and following jesus is not about attending church nicodemus was a perfect church attender he was a pharisee that made he knew the bible at the time the bible they had the old testament the law and the prophets he knew it front and back he knew it as well as anybody possibly could. He was faithful to the Sanhedrin Council. He was a leader, and he would be considered a pastor today. He had perfect church attendance, but he was lost, and he was coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, I have perfect church attendance, but I need to know about life. You see, a lot of people think that becoming a Christian is, I need to get back in church. And sometimes Easter is a good time for you to show up in church, maybe get your church fixed, get it in. And you're thinking, you know what? I really need to get back to church. But I want you to realize that attending church won't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in your garage will make you a car. Just because you're here doesn't mean that this is who Christ has called you to be. You can attend church every week and still be lost. It's important as a Christian that you're part of a church, but that's not how you become a Christian. Another thing it's not, it's not about getting your life together. I mean, nobody had their life together like Nicodemus. I mean, he did it all. He not only knew the law, but he lived the law very religiously. He went letter by letter by letter and did everything perfectly. He did it all. He had his life together. And a lot of people think, you know what? I just need to, you know, I just need to get my life together. You know, I need to kind of straighten up. I'm a little too undisciplined. I need to stop doing this. And once I stop doing this or stop doing that or get this area of life together, then I can become a Christian. But I want you to know something. You don't have to give up anything to come to Christ. You just, other than your life, I take that back. You have to give up your life. But you don't have to quit doing anything to come to Christ because he'll take you as you are and then he'll take you to a new place in life. But I want you to realize this. It's not about getting your life together. This is, this is something that is not about getting it together. It's about realizing that Christ has got it together for you. Some can spend their whole life trying to get their life together, and that's the one reason why they're not coming to Christ. But that's not what being a Christian is about. It's also not about saying a prayer. Nicodemus, man, he prayed every prayer you could think Nicodemus wanted a formula. Jesus, what must I do to go to heaven? What's the prayer? What's the magic? What's the pill that I must say or swallow? What is it that I must do? What's the formula? Guys, there's not a magic Silver bullet to becoming a Christian when it comes to prayer. A lot of people think, man, if I could just pray the prayer, if I could just get my son or my daughter to pray the prayer, if I could just get my coworker or my family member or my best friend just to pray the prayer, if I could just get my neighbor to pray this prayer. Guys, there are no examples in the Bible of a prayer being prayed as a magical cure for sin. Praying a prayer to become a follower of Christ is not present in the scriptures because following Christ is not about a prayer it 's about a life of following Christ you don't become a Christian by a prayer, though prayer is important, and talking to God is important it's not a magical prayer here 's another thing it's not it 's not about doing good things it's not about doing good things well you know i've done mission work, you know i give i I help out where people are hungry, or you know I go out to to the you know to the homeless guys, and I help clothe people and I feed people, and you know, uh, it's great that you're making a difference, but that is not what it means to become a Christian. That might be something that a Christian does after they become one, but that is not how you become one. That is not salvation. In fact, Jesus said that, that there'll be those that face off with them someday in the eternal life after this life, and they'll say this Many will say to me on that day, Jesus said in Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out Demons in your name and done many wonders in your name and jesus will say I will declare to them I never knew you depart from me You who practice lawlessness, he says it's not about doing good things Some of you you think that that's what being a christian is about But that's not how you become one It's also not about Committing yourself to god some say you know what? I want to run my own life, but one of these days i'll commit to jesus One of these days, I know I need to do it. I know I need to to come to Christ. I know I need to give him my life. One of these days, I'll commit to it. I'll commit myself to God. Guys, listen, Nicodemus was committed. That guy was not only knowledgeable of the word, but he lived it. He was committed to his surroundings. He was committed even to what he understood as being God. But he was not a follower of Christ. He was not a Christian. It's not about our commitment commitment. It's about knowing that he is committed to us. And I want you guys to know this is that some might hear these and go, wait a minute, I'm kind of confused because I thought that's what it meant to be a Christian. I thought one of those was the pill. I thought one of those was, was the formula. I thought one of those was what I had to do when I had to say, I thought that's what I had to know. And some of you are confused. And that's because the church has done a terrible job at giving you the clear gospel. They've given you this kind of muddy version of Jesus that is just kind of filled with all kinds of extras. And you think, I, I just, wh- explain to me exactly then what it is to become a Christian. Well, let's take a look. That's what Jesus said in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Four words, four things, two things you must know, one thing you must do, and one thing you get. Let's take a look at this. Then I want to pray for you. First thing is this, God so loved the world. I want you to know this. The first thing you need to know is that God loves you. God loved. And this is his first step, not our first step. He loves you. Regardless of whether you realize it or not, regardless of whether you love him or not, I want you to know what people who don't know Christians, uh, who want to be a Christian, who don't know Christ, what they need to know is just this first thing you need to know. God loves them. God's goodness. This is a motivating factor. Guys, and this is so cool. It's not that he just loved. It's that he so loved. And he so loves the people of this world. When he talks about the world, it's not talking about the planet. He's talking about the people on the planet. And he says, God so loves people. And I want you to realize this. Some of you have been running from God your whole life because somehow you think God is chasing you to squish you. That he's got a big giant ruler in his hand and a staff in his hand and he's ready to bonk you on the head and criticize and tear you down and chase you down. Maybe you are running from God because of that. Man, if I thought that too, I'd be running from God too. Many tell me uh, to God, man, not now, God. Not, I'm just not ready now. If you knew how much he loved you, you wouldn't be running from him. Why would you run from the love of the creator, from the love of God? And I think it's because a lot of us don't really understand the concept of his love and his so love for us, his tremendous, as, as the Bible says, his, his, his breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of his love, as Paul says in Ephesians 3. He says, man, only if we can understand how rich and how deep and how wide and how strong it is. He's not ticked off at you. He's in love with you. You were created to reflect his image. The essence of the Bible is a love story. He doesn't want to know you. He already knows everything about you. He wants you to know him. You're not a mystery to him. He knows the freckles on your back. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the moles in the secret places. He knows the thoughts and intentions of your heart. And he still loves you. He wants you to know him. Because he loves you. And because he's good, he wants you to know his love. Who does he love? The world means everybody. There's not a group. There's not a a race. There's not an organization. There's not a, a huddle. He loves us, everyone, so much that he did what people do who love. They give. And that's the second thing that he did. It says that God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. Some translations say begotten. It means one of a kind. That means God gave. That's the second thing. Two things you need to know. God loved, God gave. That's all you need to know. You want to know what your friends need to know? You know, you want to know what you need to know to become a follower of Christ today, this Easter 2015, simple. God loves you and he gave his son for you. You don't need to know who the first two people were, their kids' names and how they found wives. It's a big question, isn't it? We don't need to know if Noah got dinosaurs on the ark or if there were dinosaurs at that time. We don't need to know the, the details of the end times. All you need to know is God loved, God gave. Let's say it together. God loved, God gave. Let's say it together again. God loved, God gave. Specifically that God sent Jesus into the world to die for our sins You see the only begotten son means one of a kind never has been never will be another He's not one of many incarnations. He's not one of many gods. He's not one for them And then there's another for somebody else. He's the only begotten one of a kind never has been never will be another god in the flesh, the word son means in the flesh of the family of son of God means he is God in the flesh. One of a kind, never be another. Guys, God loved you so much. He stepped under the scene himself and he gave his son, Jesus Christ. But why would he give? Why would he have to give? Because we're born once dead in sin. And we must be born again. Free from sin. See, all of you were born once. You're here because you were born. Think about it. Every one of us in this room was a baby. Every one of us has a mom and a dad, whether you know them well or not. Every one of you was nurtured as a child in good and bad ways. We don't know. Every one of you had milk, had maybe formula, ate baby food, Everyone, every person in this room had to learn to walk. That's kind of a bizarre thought, isn't it? Every person in this room couldn't even roll over for the first, you know, couple months of their life. And now here you are sitting up, talking, writing, interacting with people. But when we're born, we're born dead in sin. We need to be born alive in Christ. You see, he gave His life because we're born in sin and our sin separates us from the knowledge and the relationship of God. And the cross was the answer. Romans 5a says that God demonstrates His love, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. He goes on to say that while we were His enemies and had and wanted nothing to do with Him, Christ died for us. See, God loves first step. God gave. He took the initiative for you. He isn't chasing us to chastise us, but to rescue us. If you're a parent or if you've ever babysat a child, maybe you've uh, had a child uh, by a busy street and and they're playing. And and if you've ever had to dart towards the street to get a child, anybody ever have to do that? You know, it's a scary, scary thing. Or if you're yelling, hey, get away from the street. Get away from the street. And the kids are, man, you know mom your dad you don't want me to have any fun they're just little kids i don't know if they're actually talking that much but you know the smaller kids you have a fence you you keep them in the backyard to protect them from the vehicles that might hurt them and you're not you're not coming down on them because you hate them but imagine that a child is running towards the street the ball goes in the street they're just oblivious <laughs> you know how kids are they don't pay attention they're just being pure they're being innocent but they're still born dead in sin and they're running towards the street and a parent says no And a parent says, stop. And the parent runs after them. And sometimes the kid will look at mom or dad running after them and think, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. So they start running even harder and further. Have you ever had that experience? Sometimes when the child sees you coming, they think they're in trouble. But you're not chasing them to chastise. You're chasing to rescue. Guys, listen. Jesus is not chasing you to spank you. He already took the spanking on the cross. He's chasing to rescue you. He's chasing because he gave his life. You're thinking, I got to get, he's thinking, I got to get them to save them. See, Jesus clarifies this in the next verse in John 3, 17. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, Jesus didn't come here to, to condemn and to, to judge and to, and to insult and to make you feel small and make you feel little. Like a lot of preachers will give us this kind of downgraded kind of Jesus or this upgraded Jesus that they think is just kind of added more. They just add more. And we think, man, I don't know if I want. I don't want that kind of Jesus. You see the mean, angry preachers and the organization. That's not what I want, man. Jesus loves you. And he gave his life for you. Let's not get confused about the reality of his love and what he's done for you. He's not here to condemn you, but that you might be through him saved. That's two things you need to know. Now, here's one thing you need to do. Is, it says this, but whoever believes in him, we believe. You see, God loved, God gave, we believe. This is not about performance. It's not about working hard for Jesus. It's not about jumping through hoops. It's not about trying to fix up our life. This is about two words that have deep, intense meaning. Believe in, the word there is actually better translated as a trust in, a reliance on, a sense of surrender to. It's not about accepting an ideal or agreeing with. The word believe there is not about, okay, I can agree with that or believe in that. It is much richer than that. In fact, the word believe is a verb that is a verb that is an active verb, which means it's a continual believing You see, when the Bible says that whosoever believes in, it means whosoever will keep on trusting in Jesus. There's a sense of continual belief a continuous faith that is not an isolated moment of salvation or an isolated moment of confession this is a, a this is a transference of trust from our life to god this is about a change of life this is about saying i was wrong and god is right i'm turning from mine to turn to his this belief is much bigger than just an acceptance of a belief system because let me tell you something the bible says that every demon in hell the devil himself believes the gospel Every demon in the hell can quote John three sixteen and know that it's true. They were there at the crucifixion and saw him rise from the dead and they know that he's coming back. But these demons are not saved. They're not followers of Christ. They are not born again, even though they have all the right belief system because it's not about a belief. It's about a trust in and a reliance on. Let me explain it to you this way using this uh, stool. Some of you guys have heard me do this before. It's like, I can know everything about this stool and I can study it all day long man I could I could tell you how many braces there are and I could even probably you know build one myself you know I could you know know about the the pads on the bottom and just kind of how sturdy it is. And, and I could even do seminars on the chair, on the stool. I could, you know, teach you how to get to know, man, what kind of wood it is and the grain and how to cut, how to do the edges, you know, and the value and the importance of every angle and shape. Talk to you, talk to you about how sturdy it is and how strong it is and how you need one yourself. I could go into great detail about this stool and chair. And I could could tell you everything that could possibly be known about this. But when it says whoever believes in, it means not this. It's not a leaning on. It's not just a knowing about. It's not even a, a partial. Because at any time, if you pull this out, I'm still on my own. But this word here, believe in, trust in, means a total surrender, a total trust. The entire weight of my body is completely on this stool. There's nothing at all that I'm doing to keep myself up. I am resting in the knowledge and the understanding and the trust of this stool. Guys, listen, some of you, you know an awful lot about Jesus. You know the Bible verses. You went to church every now and then when you're a kid. You know what everybody says about him. You could even teach us a thing or two about some things you know. Maybe you have a Bible. Maybe you've led or gone to a Bible study. And you've leaned on the stool, but you've never surrendered yourself. You've never put the weight of your sin, the weight of your life, the weight of your cares, the weight of your marriage, the weight of your job, the weight of your finances, the weight of your shame, the weight of, your, of the shackles of your life. You haven't trusted him. God so loved the world that whosoever believes, trusts in him, relies on him. You see, Jesus often said, if you want to be mine, follow me. That's a continual invitation Those of you that every day get up and walk with me, he says, those will be my followers. Guys, listen, this is not about a belief system. This is about a trust in the knowledge of what Christ has done on the cross for us. Acts 1630 says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Or sorry, believe on. There's a sense that it's more than just believing in, it's believing on. what you need to know to become a Christian, what your friends need to know is God loved. God gave, we believe. Put your trust in what God did when he sent his son to bear the weight of our sin upon his shoulders. So let's say it together. Ready? God loved, let's say it together. God loved, God gave, we believe. Now, when we do this, life with God begins. And this is what we get. This is the last thing the verse tells us is that we receive. This is what it says. If you do this, it says, you shall not perish that have eternal life. We receive God, love God gave. We believe we receive perish. What does that even mean? What does that word perish mean? That means judgment. That means that apart from Christ, we all are facing a very real judgment. This is what it says in the very next verse in John three eighteen. 18. It says, he who believes continually trusts in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned Already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Guys, listen Christ came to rescue you. If you reject his rescue, you're already perishing. That's the point. You're already in the process of judgment. Every heart knows there's more to life than this. We lay in bed at night and we look at the stars at night. And we close our eyes when we can't sleep and we wonder what happens when this life is over and, and, and going and seeing a guy or a girl in a, in a box with makeup on at a funeral does not answer the questions of what happens when this life is over. When he says, have eternal life, he's not talking about a promise to live forever because the reality is good news and bad news. We all live forever. It's just about where we're going to live forever. What does that mean, eternal life? That means God life. It means divine life forever. The righteous life of Christ. It goes back to Jesus telling Nicodemus, Nick, you must be born again into a new life, into a fresh start, a new beginning. Guys, some of you have been praying for a new start, a fresh beginning, a new jumpstart to a new life is what you've been praying and needing and crying out for. Your heart is crying out for something more. This is the invitation. God loved, God gave. If we believe, we will receive this eternal life, this promise. And how do we know it's true? I'll tell you because we know it's true. Because even though Nicodemus soaked and wrapped and laid Jesus' dead body in a tomb and wept for three days, there was a movement that took place on Sunday morning, when that stone was moved away. And let me tell you something on that Sunday morning, on that third day, Jesus walked out conquering sin, sickness, death, depravity, hell, and the grave. Jesus was alive. And now the cross was so much more because Jesus is now risen, He is alive. And when we look at the cross, we know that it's empty. When we look at the tomb, we know it's empty. And we know our sins are forgiven because he is alive. We know we have purpose in life because he is alive. We know there's more to this life, this short, frail, blink of an eye of life. We know that there's more because he is alive. When life doesn't make sense, we know he is alive. He has conquered our sin, our death, our shame, our confusion, our fear, our anxiety. He has conquered our depression he has taken the, the shackles of our habits and he has carried them on his shoulder. He is alive. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, if we have hope in Christ only for this life, we're the most miserable people in the world. That means if you're a Christian without the resurrection, even if you're a good person, man, you're missing a lot of things because life with Christ is a life of sacrifice. But he says this, but the fact is Christ has been raised From the dead. The fact is. So for three short years. They walked with him. Watched him do the miraculous. Then watched him die. And for three long days. Their dreams were wrapped in grave clothes. In the depths of despair. But the tomb was rolled away. Now what's more refreshing. This muddy water. Or what if we could just simply present to people. A clear understanding. of who Jesus is. Pure, fresh, refreshing water. See, this is the gospel, that Jesus is alive, that God loved, that he gave. But if we believe, mm, we receive. Anybody can understand that. Anybody can share that. So if you're rejecting Christ today, I hope you're rejecting the right thing. But if it finally has come alive to you, will Easter 2015 be the day that you are born again? Some might ask, well, if it's that simple, then why is the Bible so big? Well, the reason is we have the Bible because it's the story of God. It's the story of God over thousands of years of God reaching out to us and the story of us telling the world the simple news that God loved, God gave. And if we believe We will receive eternal life. Two kinds of people in the world, those who have everlasting life as a result of faith in Christ and those who are already condemned. Which will you be? Later on in the chapter, John 3, 36, I want to end with this and pray. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son does not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Those already sentenced, those already who only await the execution of that sentence And that's the reason why the gospel is such good news because justice was satisfied and he lives. So our responsibility is to live it out and lay it out. When he rose from the dead, he challenged us to tell others. Next week, I wanna pick up with the resurrection. What happened after the resurrection? What's that mean for us? Next week, I wanna invite you to come back To living way if this is your first time if you're here as a guest come on back next week we're going to unwrap what happens next after jesus rose again from the grave because he still walked with the disciples for almost a month and you can find out some of the things that he said during that time because he is alive let me pray for you jesus thank you so much for the cross god you gave your life so we might live forever Maybe you're here right now and it finally makes sense. It's your time today. Maybe you've lost the simplicity of the cross and you've been doing so much to try to reach him. God wants you to simply rest and trust on him. Guys, we're gonna watch a video here in a moment and I want your heads bowed for just a moment. And as we watch this video that's coming up, I I want some of you to to just talk to Jesus for a while. During this video, I want you to, if you know that you need to be born again and talk to Jesus, just confess your sin, acknowledge that you are a sinner and that the cross was payment and that he took your sin. If you will receive that and believe in him, you will become a child of God. And over the course of the next couple of minutes with this video, I want to ask you to invite Christ into your heart, into your life, and to follow him. Because he is alive. Let's watch this. Sean's going to come up here in a moment, but I want us to pray. I want to pray for you. Heads bowed. And uh, Jesus said, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. Spiritual birth, a new life in the son of God. If you're here this morning, you'd say, you know what? I've been praying during that video and I, I understand it's coming together I perceive, I believe, I trust Jesus with my life I'm not going to lead you In a prayer this morning But I just through a show of hands that I would like to see a confession Of what you have believed And what you've done today Heads bowed and eyes closed If you're here today, say, you know what I trust Jesus with my life Would you just raise your hand and say, you know what I trust Jesus with my life That's me I will walk with him I will follow him Thank you, Jesus. If you're here today and you say, you know what? Today was the day. Today was the day for me. Then I want you to raise your hand. You say, you know what? If you raised it earlier, you can raise it again right now. You say, you know what? Today was my day. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Christ, that you live. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you guys to join uh, us next Sunday as we continue this journey with Christ. As a follower of Christ, let's walk with Jesus together. I hope to see you next Sunday.
0: Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.